Welcome to Secondhand Stories. I'm your host, Jim Zabo. And I'm your host, Colleen Stewart. And P.S. My voice is gone, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Colleen was screaming a lot after she read the story. She just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't help herself. I, I was. Let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, did I? Did we come through on our promise of a creepy story call? Once we you did! Read it? Everyone, this story is creepy. You are going to have goosebumps and you probably won't be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we have a wedding coming up here in a couple weeks, Call yes. right? Not, not a wedding between us, just to be clear with everybody here, but... <laughs> no, everyone, we are not um, getting married. Chloe, we are not getting no, married. No, Chloe, and yeah, we're just, we're not getting married. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping that the wedding is not like this. It fucking better Would not you be. you agree? I, <laughs> yeah. First yeah. of all, max, masks are sweaty. Second of all, Scary. Scary. Uh, so we have a wedding story by Nicholas McDonnell here today. Um, he wrote a story for Secondhand Stories a while back um, in episode 10. We'll, we'll go over that in his bio. Um, but I read his story, and here it is. A Wedding Story by Nicholas McDonnell Scene Savannah, Georgia, where the sun hangs low in the sky. Chris and Beth Tompkins, husband and wife drive through stately neighborhoods, yet neither one knows where they're going. The frustration of being lost wears at them both. The car reeks of stale air, airport air, of breath inhaled and exhaled countless times. They do not know what is coming. I can't believe you got us lost, Beth said to Chris. We're not lost, Chris argued. We just don't know where we're going. If that's not lost, seized Beth, I don't think you know what lost means. Lost or not, the rental car drove on. Five hours out from Denver, jet lagged and exhausted, Chris didn't want to fight. It wasn't Beth's fault for being chippy. He was pissed off too. Why Chris and Beth were even in Savannah was something Chris found himself asking again and again. Ghostly Spanish moss, hung like festive garland, did little to lighten the mood. Chris hadn't seen Danny in years. Pledge brothers in the same class, once they'd roomed together during college, But really, wondered Chris, did that time mean so much? Did the commonality of keggers and toga parties bind two strangers for life? Chris didn't think so. Their past was a hazy memory. Their future, hollow Christmas cards. When Chris first got the wedding invitation, he swore he wouldn't go. When Danny called to ensure his attendance, Chris relented. Chance. Sheer chance we ended up together, Chris grumbled, mostly to himself. There were 50 other guys in our pledge class, and I got Danny. Was it by chance that you didn't ask for directions? Asked Beth, gazing out her window at Antebellum Mansions. Or are we chalking that up to the heavens as well? Live oaks, their bony branches shadowed by dusk, canopied the road. At least Danny had chosen somewhere remarkable. At least the wedding wouldn't be a walk down memory lane, a college town throwback to the men they used to be. Then again... Whether Danny's wedding was in Boulder or Botswana, geography mattered little. For Chris, anywhere he saw Danny meant comparing their success, like cousins checking height. Seeing Danny meant coming up short. After Danny graduated, he had moved out west and gotten a job at a startup in San Francisco. Chris remembered the first time Danny mentioned his company, Pongo, thinking it sounded more like a Pacific island than a legitimate business. When Pongo went public, Making it all the way to the cover of Time magazine, Chris lost it. Danny had tried getting him to invest, 
He and Beth did fine, but Danny's windfall was a hard pill to swallow. A pill worth upwards of a billion dollars. Are you sure the directions weren't emailed? Asked Beth, as Chris braked for a horse-drawn carriage. You've seen the app he created, said Chris, withdrawing his phone as evidence. That was all he sent us, the stupid invitation for his Dixieland Jubilee. But I don't see anyone else driving in circles, said Beth. Why would Danny invite you to his wedding and then make it so hard to find? Because you don't know Danny, said Chris. You've met him only once, right? At that reunion three years ago? I lived with Danny for a whole year. Thinking back, Chris remembered the Danny from his past. Quiet, smart as nails, jealous of anyone who has handed things the easy way. Danny grew up in some piss-ass town in rural Colorado, so for him, Boulder had been his salvation. Some people are born into the club. Others claw every inch. That was what Beth didn't understand. Savannah, the wedding app, being the light in the darkness, this was Danny's icing. Danny's app, his custom invitation, worked as a high-tech homing beacon. Upon arrival in Savannah, the app activated, alerting guests that they neared their prize. Each guest was given a specific neighborhood, a corner of the city they were told to go and explore. Once guests fulfilled the task, only then were they sent their final directions. It was a mystery in the grandest sense, and an absolute pain in the ass. As Chris turned down another meaningless lane, Beth reached into the back seat to retrieve her makeup bag. They might have been fighting, but watching her in silent appreciation, Chris felt grateful. Auburn hair, hazel eyes, above Danny in his games. Watching Beth apply foundation, Chris lost sight of his frustration. Beth was so distracting that he barely noticed the movement in the corner of his eye. His focus drifting, reflexes enabled Chris to slam on the brakes. The car skidded to a halt, and Beth launched forward, makeup flying everywhere. At first glance, the woman standing in the road looked as ancient as a Civil War gravestone. She dressed in white, her head adorned with a crimson church hat. The brim covered her face in shadows, her black skin draped and cracked, but somehow, even in the glowing darkness, Chris could make out her every feature. Jesus, Chris, said Beth. You nearly killed her. What were you doing? Chris's heart pounded. He'd been distracted, admiring Beth, trying to forget their predicament. It was no excuse. Almost hitting the woman was jolting, but what came next sent shivers down Chris's spine. Despite her close call, a violent end of steel and asphalt, the old woman hardly stirred. Her deep-set eyes, misty and red, stayed fixed on the car. Trance-like in her near-death encounter, she did not react with anger, nor surprise, nor disgust. When it seemed she could wait no longer, all she did was smile. A wide, toothless grin. What should we do? asked Chris, not turning as he muttered under his breath. I don't know, said Beth. I, I don't know. When it felt like they could take it no longer, the old woman granted Chris her mercy, turning back to her path and disappearing behind a row of hedges. What in the hell was that? asked Beth. Before Chris could answer, Danny's wedding app came to life, his phone exploding in a barrage of buzzing. The party was beginning. It was time for them to go. Fifteen minutes later, and now armed with Danny's directions, Chris and Beth entered a neighborhood not yet seen. Gates, 
nearly so high as to stop even sight, guarded rolling lawns. Beyond the hedges and the rose bushes, shadows wallpapered the estates. I knew Danny was doing well, Beth marveled, but this is ridiculous. Halfway down the block, Chris's phone went off in a final triumphant burst. A cast iron gate blocked the entrance to the manor. When the Subaru neared, Chris's phone relayed their arrival as the ironworks creaked open. How much did this place cost to rent? asked Beth. Too much, said Chris. But for Danny, I'm sure he never thought twice. Black footman, white-gloved and tuxedoed, signaled Chris forward as he navigated the brick driveway. The greeting, a bygone southern ritual, felt vaguely racist, but Chris wondered if he was nitpicking. He parked the car in a roundabout. Jealousy passed. Chris accepted that he couldn't wait to see what came next. Two servants made their way over before Chris or Beth could open their doors. In the light of such grandeur, the Subaru felt like an insult. Chris searched his wallet for a five, but as he passed it to the valet, the old man did little but nod. Beth joined Chris as their car was shuttled off. Despite their near accident, despite the tire from travel, she looked radiant. Danny could never match Beth, and with her on his arm, Chris belonged anywhere. Are you ready, my dear? asked Chris. Babe, smiled Beth, I'd follow you anywhere. Beth took Chris's arm as they crossed the driveway. Although most of the homes in Savannah they'd seen had been either federal or Georgian in design, the mansion before them felt out of place. Dark stone adorned the walls, contrasting the white trim and wraparound porches that decorated so many others. The house felt callous, the cold facade and Byzantine servitude making it darker even still. A tremendous archway, over 20 feet high and consisting of incalculable tons of granite and mortar, framed the oaken doors. Chris led Beth under the arch, but before they could reach the brass line headknockers, both doors opened before them. A final servant, wearing a magnificent top hat, bowed as he motioned them inside. Welcome to the festivities, he said. You've arrived just in time. Chris felt chills for the second time that day. Beth, feeling the same, pulled her husband close as they passed beyond the foyer. There, a pair of maids, each challenging the other in girth, approached with a dark burlap bag. Good evening, sir, madam, started one of the maids. Your gracious hosts, Mr. Daniel Mitchell and Miss Annabel Williams, welcome you to their party. Tonight will be an evening of merriment, but to begin, your hosts ask pardon to make requests. Beth smiled as she listened to the speech. On the plane ride out, she and Chris had discussed what types of security they would meet. Danny wasn't Zuckerberg, but his wealth had bought some high-class friends. Beth had told Chris that they might have to surrender their phones, and as she squeezed his hand, he readied to hand over his device. For tonight's celebration, the maid continued, your hosts ask that you partake in a simple game. So often we judge each other by sight, so tonight, surrounded by friends both old and new, we ask that you put aside your first impressions. To do that, you will need to choose a mask. Chris cupped his phone inside his pocket, but as the maid closest to him lifted the bag, he understood what Danny planned. Of course a jubilee meant disguises. In fact, of all the things Chris envisioned, the idea of masks was actually refreshing. Brushing elbows with the rich and powerful, disguises would put every guest all on the same level. Motioning to Beth, Chris let her choose first. 
Digging in the bag for just the moment, Beth withdrew her mask. Beth's choice, a white ceramic columbina, didn't cover her entire face. Rounded contortions bulged from where her cheekbones rested, and as the outline of the mask rose towards Beth's hair, gold sequins bordered the edge. Well, she asked, what do you think? You got lucky, babe, Chris said. You look better than you have all night. Beth punched Chris's arm, but although she feigned outrage, both partners relished the adventure. Chris took his turn with the bag and chose almost immediately. Wow, Chris, said Beth, after Chris slid the white plaster veil in place. It's perfect, like one of those Guy Fox masks. Chris smiled under his mask, knowing that his chosen identity did not mirror Guy Fox. Chris's disguise covered his entire face, but in place of the devilish grin and mischievous eyes, his mask resembled a smiling melpamine more than Fox. With their task complete, both maids seemed pleased. The near one let go of the bag and began leading Chris and Beth to the party. As they reached another set of doors, she turned and gave her final instructions. From here, you will meet your fellow guests. Before your hosts arrive, you will have an hour to socialize. Eat, drink, and be merry, for the night has just begun. The maid turned and pushed open the massive door. When she did, a new light found the entranceway. The light was golden ember, radiance that filled the darkened space. The dazzle came in spectral waves, drenching them in color. A sweeping ballroom waited for Chris and Beth just beyond the doorway. Overhead hung chandeliers. Underfoot sat oaken floors. At the center of the dance floor, a full orchestra played for partygoers. Holy shit, said Chris. I know I complained, but this is wild. Waiters, each masked with expressionless white veils, paced sections around the room. One of the servants stopped and passed two glasses of champagne to Chris. When he tried thanking the man, the waiter quickly disappeared. Beth and Chris clinked glasses, raising their flutes high in the air. Beth was able to drink without removing her mask, but Chris had to lift his to reach his mouth. As he did, he caught sideways glances from several partygoers. Strangely, it felt as if they stopped their conversation to watch him drink. Let's go to the dance floor, said Beth, grabbing Chris's arm and diverting his attention. Some of your fraternity brothers must be here. If Chris was not yet ready to dance, Beth's resilient tug pried him loose. Even though they were brushing shoulders with millionaires, with Beth at his lead, there was no reason for reservation. Beth led them to the center of the floor, and as she did, Chris examined the fabulous guests. Most men were dressed in tuxedos, while most women were attired in flowing gowns. What made their fellow guests so memorable, however, were the masks they wore. Every mask was white, but on each passing face, Chris saw more elaborate emotions than the one before. Pain, joy, sorrow, and mirth filled the expansive room. At the center of the dance floor, Beth stopped and spun. Her emerald skirt twirled, the magic of the night inspiring her grace. Not wanting to be outdone, Chris bowed formally. Bent at the waist, he awaited Beth with an outstretched hand. Beth accepted his gesture, and when their fingers interlaced, Chris pulled her in. Chris and Beth danced in harmony, spinning through several songs until the need for cocktails rose again. Right on cue, another faceless waiter swooped in with a round of drinks. Beth took hers in stride, but once again, Chris had to remove his mask. With his face fully free, Chris examined the party. 
Over 300 guests filled the ballroom. Masks made it impossible to follow any person for long, and as Chris searched for familiar faces, partygoers came and went. Looking down, Chris realized he had not yet noticed the dance floor. Polished wood had been visible upon first entering, but now swirls of mist covered Chris's shoes. Searching for the fog machine, Chris was caught off guard when a masked man bumped into him with such force that he nearly fell. As quickly as the unknown figure appeared, Chris lost the man behind a waltzing couple. Chris started to follow, intent on getting an apology, but before he could set chase, Beth placed her hand on his shoulder. Um, Chris, do you remember the maid saying anything about taking off your mask? whispered Beth. I'm not sure you're supposed to have yours off. Irritated, as Chris stared at his wife, he peeked over her shoulder and saw what she was talking about. Every guest around them had stopped to stare. Masks hid their faces, but judging by their eyes, Chris burned under the heat of their attention. I see what you're saying, Chris said slowly. Succumbing to the peer pressure, Chris slid his mask back in place. Almost instantly, as if a skipping record had been fixed, the dancers resumed their steps. Chris pulled Beth in close as he watched them disappear. That was weird, said Chris, the party's mirth waning after his strange standoff. If Danny doesn't show up soon, I'm going to be ready to leave. Let's just wait a little longer, said Beth. I'm sure Danny will be here soon. Chris agreed, but as the minutes passed, it became impossible to keep track of the time. Chris tried checking his phone, but when he opened the screen, an error message appeared. Behind the message was nothing but a picture of Danny and his bride. Asshole really thought of everything, he fumed. Guess that's why they didn't need our phones. Beth smiled, but underneath was something more. The ballroom wasn't hot, but the fog and crowd combined to make the room feel humid. Sensing Beth's discomfort, Chris searched for tables beyond the dance floor, and finding one, led his wife away. Once seated, Chris tried turning his phone off and on to see if he could exit Danny's app. As he did, Beth flagged down a waiter for another round. She and Chris toasted, but as Chris watched Beth drink, he pondered the champagne. I know I don't drink like I did in college, Chris said as he watched Beth, his wife preoccupied by bubbles rising to the surface of her glass. But I'm sure I'm not this much of a lightweight. I've only had two glasses, but... I already feel drunk. When Beth didn't comment, Chris pushed his chips. I'm ditching my mask, he declared. I don't give a damn about Danny's rules. Chris removed his mask, but when he turned back towards the crowd, his heart sank. The orchestra had ceased playing, and as Chris looked around, those guests nearest him glared once more over his refusal to wear the mask. Only this time... What Chris witnessed was much worse. Now, everyone was staring. The entire room had frozen. Beth, spoke Chris hurriedly, I think we should go outside. Beth remained fixed on her champagne. It took Chris touching her wrist to get a response. Sorry, babe, said Beth. I think this champagne has me tipsy. Beth looked up with a smile Chris recognized from nights on the town. But as her eyes found the crowd, she stammered in surprise. Oh my god, look at that smoke! Distracted by the scowling mob, Chris had been so absorbed by the watchers that he'd failed to notice the growing cloud. 
Earlier, the fog on the dance floor had barely covered his shoes. Now, it swallowed the dancers whole. Chris rose to his feet. I'm scared, said Beth when he took her hand. Only Chris didn't respond. Through the choking fog, he struggled to see a way out. No one moved as Chris and Beth skirted the edge of the crowd. Only faces, masked behind dishonest veneers, watched their exit. As Chris scanned the walls, they seemed to be the source of the rolling smoke. It billowed from unseen vents down the crown molding, stinging the eyes. Beth had started coughing, but Chris pushed forward. Beyond the furthest tables, back towards where they'd entered, a wall of servants blocked the path. Chris felt trapped. Letting go of Beth's hand, he started running. Chris crashed into the barricade, taking three waiters down as he did. Get up, cried Beth, grabbing his arm. We have to go! Chris sprang to his feet, but, as he did, from the back of the ballroom came a terrible rumbling. The roof was caving in. Chris shouted at the crowd to run, to get out, but they gave no response. Smoke had swallowed them all, but still, no one moved. Turning back, the doorway the servers guarded had been revealed. Chris and Beth sprinted for the exit. There was no sign of the maids inside the entranceway, no one else to block their way. Light coming from the ballroom followed after them, but now Chris felt it change. Unlike before, the light was no longer merry or magic. It flickered as it trailed, furious at their departure. From the ballroom to the front door was only 20 feet, but as Chris and Beth ran forward, that distance seemed impossible. The light gave chase, and nearing the front doors, heat licked the back of Chris's neck. With only five feet remaining, Chris felt a fire so intense it threatened to steal his breath. But he couldn't stop. Pushing forward, reaching the exit, Chris and Beth burst through the massive front doors. Nothing could have prepared them for what waited. Outside, everywhere that Chris looked, lights flashed in the night. Fire trucks filled the gated roundabout. Cops interviewed witnesses on the lawn. Behind them, smoke billowed from the mansion's windows as flames consumed the roof. Oh my god, you made it! called the voice Chris recognized, crying out as firefighters rushed to where they stood. Chris, Beth, you're alive! Danny looked awful. Although he was wearing a tuxedo, his hair was disheveled, his eyes red from tears. Chris did not let go of Beth as he watched Danny rip his fingers through his hair. Danny, asked Chris, what is happening? Danny stared at Chris, but Chris could tell from his vacant expression that Danny didn't know either. Mist from fire hoses drifted down upon them. Chris looked back at the house, but as he did, he saw stretchers being pulled from inside. Before we got here, Danny explained, before Annabelle and I arrived, there was an explosion, a gas leak. The firefighters said everyone was killed. Standing in the smoky mist, all eyes fell upon Chris and Beth. Ambulances ferried away the dead, converted hearses passing through the iron gate. A crowd had gathered to watch the tragedy. Chris saw men and women, entire families drawn like moths. Danny was speaking again, but Chris had become distracted. A lone figure stood clear from the crowd. When Chris recognized her, his world collapsed in ashes. The old woman, still dressed in white, waited on the sidewalk. The woman Chris had nearly hit. Unlike her counterparts, she was not watching the fire. Her eyes were fixed on one target. Chris and Beth. Chris felt like he might faint. Beth was crying, coughing as she did, making Chris notice his own throat, 
burnt and parched. They had been inside during the explosion. Somehow, they had been there. None of what happened made sense, but as Chris gazed at the woman, for the second time that night, he watched her smile. Knowing that Chris had seen her, the old woman began walking away. As she did, Chris saw a white mask in her bony hand. She had been with them. Chris didn't know how, but as sure as the heartbeat in his chest, the old woman had been there. Beside Chris, Danny was growing impatient. A firefighter was talking with Beth, gently asking for her statement, but Danny was more incessant. Chris, he shouted, where did you get those masks? Nicholas MacDonald is a writer and teacher living in Kansas City, Missouri. His stories have been featured in Sixfold Magazine, The Provo Canyon Review, Type House Literary Magazine, Story Shares, Oscillate Wildly Press, and Secondhand Stories. He wrote Man's Best Friend, which was featured in episode 10. So, <laughs> what do we want to talk about L- here today? Carl? Long pause, long pause. Long pause. Well, I... Yeah, let everybody let this bumps. yeah like sink in like turn the lights on in your house. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the lights were on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, know that everything is okay. No, just mm-hmm. kidding. Um, I really like how um, Nicholas sets up the story. I think he like gives us a good sense of place of where we are, whether yeah, that's that, in dis- like, that scene intro at the very beginning. Yeah, that. But also, throughout. yeah, also, but throughout, like he did a good job of like you know, letting us get into the story by knowing where we are. And I think that's very important. And that's also very important for like a scary story too, like a horror horror story. Like the the place and surrounding, like obviously you need to be grounded there in order to be scared or else you're just gonna be like, oh, p- bullshit, this is not scary. It's just like another story, like bleh, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was good. Like that he, he like understood obviously that that needed to be <clears throat> a part of this. And that's especially difficult in a short story. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. I mean, when you have, you know, when you have a constraint of any sort, like, you know, in a, in a story, like, like it's hard to, like, get people there in a short amount of time. Like, I think we talked about this last week, like, with, or was it last week? No, it was with Lisa's story. Mm-hmm. I think I was talking about with that. It was, you know, like, when you have a short story, it's really hard to, like, get people to care about a character or get people to, you know, care or like figure out where they are. And like, he did a really good job with that. I also think his dialogue was pretty good. Like Mm -hmm. I liked Chris, like I got a really clear picture of Chris and Beth also like through their dialogue. And like, that was really done really well too. Yeah. I I liked their relationship a lot. Like, you know, there were some tropes that he kind of fell into, but I think at the end of the day, like they, they just had a really like nice relationship. Like if you were in that relationship, you'd be very happy. I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, um I w- the only thing I would like probably more, and like again, this is probably not necessary to the story since it is short. But like I would like more of Danny. I could I maybe mm-hmm. what could have been cool if there was like a um like a flashback to when they were in college. But then of course that would have taken a lot of time, and you would have taken you out of where you were. So like that like for a short story, it probably wouldn't have been good. But like just like for the story's sake like or me of course because i always want more like i think that would be the kind of a cool thing to do is like have like a flashback that kind of relates to this 
dynamic that they have going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's a good point. Because, like, he tried, I think he did a decent job of describing, like, who Danny was, but not necessarily the relationship between the two. Like, yeah, definitely, definitely. They were paired together, right? they were fraternity brothers, but that was about that was about the extent of it. And, but like, Chris, right. like, kind of has, like, a, not a jealousy issue, but, like, a always, like, feels like Danny's, like, superior to him, or, like, mm-hmm. kind of like that little brother, or kind of like living in someone's shadow kind of deal with him but like i would love to know more about that just like i don't know yeah (laughs) i'm a nosy parker (laughs) this was the one story where i like if we were more on the ball which we're just never on the ball which is mostly on me um i would have loved to like call nicholas like have a three-way call with nicholas on the line Mm -hmm. and just get to ask him some questions because yeah they're like I really liked the story. Like, I just thought it built really well and everything. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, I don't understand necessarily who that woman was, like, what she could have represented. And the ending, honestly, was confusing, but in a good way. Like, that made it creepy. And it just, Mm -hmm. like, you don't need to know the answers, but you you always want to know, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I think... um... I think this is not really related, but I was just thinking about it. Like, the way he uses technology in the story, I think, is interesting. Because, like, it made it really kind of believable, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I feel like sometimes, it, like, since technology is so new to us, relatively, like, it's hasn't really been written about well. Like, we're to the point where it's like, oh, yeah, that could actually happen. Like, I could believe that someone can actually do this. Like, whether yeah. it is true or not, like, you would probably have a better answer to that question. But, like... It probably could be a thing, generally, like, especially if you had money, mm-hmm. like, and, like, that, I think that was a really cool part of the story, like, instead of it just being, like, they went to the wedding and they just, like, showed up, it was, like, kind of, like, Danny was already fucking with them, like, with this app, <laughs> and then, like, on top of that, like, this weird shit happens, mm-hmm. and then, like, it just becomes even creepier, because you're, like, was Danny involved? Like, I don't know, or, like, but he doesn't know about it, but, like, they didn't, like, what the hell? Like, why did this happen to just these two? Like, why is this creepy woman staring at Chris and Beth? Like, there's something going on. Like, I don't know. I think it, like, added to the story, definitely, to have those, like, technological points, like, really well done and, like, and um, explained well. Mm-hmm. That's, you know? that's a thought, super good point. Yeah. Because, like, I feel like, and I maybe I'm just projecting onto other writers, but I feel like I would have the fear of... Like, I, w- I would have a fear of writing about technology because I would be afraid that, you know, in five years, nobody would even know what I'm talking about anymore. Like, it's yeah, just not as timeless too. as other things. And so yeah, I think maybe we don't see technology as much because it doesn't have as much staying value. But I think that, again, like, that was a really good point that he did a great job of describing the technology. And honestly, it was like, it was a really interesting idea. Like, like Chris said, it would be... Like it sounds really cool, but in practice it would be a total pain in the ass. But like, right. um, yeah, that was that was a really cool part of the story. I don't know. Yeah, like a good a good aspect, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Um, let's see. But yeah, I thought that was really cool. What else? Um, I I wanted to mention just how well I thought the story was paced, which I think mm. is something that you were getting at a little bit in the beginning. Yes, um, I agree. I agree. Like I don't have very much like analytical to say about the story like i said i'm confused as much as the listeners are about you know kind of the place of that woman and what happened and you know plot wise but like everything just built on itself so steadily that you didn't you know you were in it at the end and you just you had to know what was going to happen next 
because right. you know there were just there was just a new mystery every you know every page and a half or whatever like it was the app and then it was the masks and then it was you know the way everybody was looking at chris and the fog the drunkenness feeling and all that and it just kind of just kind of spiraled and and got bigger and bigger until you know the the climax at the end for yeah. lack of a better word no yeah that's um, exa- i think that's exactly like i think he paced it really well and like and also like did a good job of even though we don't know why this woman's here like it's still you still felt like you got a full story absolutely like you still felt like you were like okay well something weird went down but like we know that like there's like an end point like wasn't like we just like stopped and like have like questions of like how it ends or like whatever like it's still like a um a full story and like Mm -hmm. that's that's really hard to do again like when you have unanswered questions to still make a reader feel like they got a full story at least like or like like they like this like i always i say this a lot about stories i feel that we get to is like this could be a great chapter of a book too like this is a good place to end a chapter and then move on to the next chapter of like what happens next you know yeah absolutely so that i think that's really good too um what else and just like to hammer home the point like pacing is so important in a suspense like suspenseful story which this was yeah. yeah absolutely. like that's why i think that that was such a key key part of why the story was so good Totally, totally. All right. Well, uh, I just want to thank Nicholas again for writing such a wonderful story. Um, thank you for the scary story. Yep. <laughs> he came through for Colleen. That was Ugh, that was great. What a guy. Um, just want to thank everybody for listening again. Thanks, everybody, for sending in your stories. Um, thank everybody for subscribing and rating on iTunes if you're doing that. Um, and just thank tune you for back in next us. week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>